ladies and gentlemen. It is that time once again, broadcasting almost live from deep beneath an old FAO Schwartz. It's Tavern Voices, the first and only podcast dedicated to unfiltered North Carolina news. I'm your host, Kevin King, and with me, as always, is our other host and talk radio laggard, Tyler Crawley. Yeah, yeah, I'm about to call you out because I think FAO Schwartz is still around. No, they are not. I double checked this. There's got to be one. There's one in New York City. Did they reopen it? No, it closed in 2015. I know, but but they reopened it in 2018, I think. Like just recently, like this last Christmas season, I think. Well, you keep talking and I'm going to look it up because if I'm wrong, I want to be well, on the record. It's- I remember because, uh, you know, that's like the famous Home Alone 2 scene, um, except he doesn't go to he goes to Duncan's toy chest, which is supposed to be, you know, FAO Schwartz. But I remember Fox News doing a segment on it. The morning crew went to a toy store in New York. I thought it was FAO Schwartz. But even if it is, I think that's the only one. I don't think they exist anywhere else because I know. No, OK, ones. what do Here you got? So they closed in uh, or the, they sold off their assets in 2009. Okay. The main store in New York stayed until 2015, uh, but it did just reopen uh, late last year. <laughs> My memory. I'm not that old yet. It's still somewhat worked. Is that, is that the only one or are there other ones? I think that's the only one as okay. far as I can tell. Right. And that makes sense why it's so loud upstairs. There's still people shocked. <laughs> See, uh, yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. All right. I just wanted to I just wanted to make sure. So but we could be under one of the uh, defunct ones. So we that, could be, that's true. You don't know where we are. That's right. I thanks I, to net neutrality. Exactly. Exactly. We we could be anywhere. Um you never know. You never know. All right. Speaking of things we do know, and that is Roy Cooper, the heat is starting to turn up on him. So we've talked about this issue before here on the Tavern Voices podcast. Uh, Roy Cooper and the Atlantic Coast Pipeline, I mean, not only was it a horrible political mistake, the fact that he agreed to a pipeline that had nasty, dirty fossil fuel in it. Oh my gosh, the most horrible thing ever. Uh, And the environmentalists all went against him. But then as it started to emerge and more information came forward about why exactly he did do it, besides the slush fund and other side deals going on, uh, this is turning into a bigger and bigger mess. Now, originally, like I said, the slush fund was an issue, but it was mostly Republicans, Republicans talking about it. And then some other issues started to develop. Uh, for example, Strata Solar, a company that had done business with Roy Cooper before and could still be doing business with him or his family. We don't know. They're not exactly being very transparent about that. That was first brought to many people's attention by Carolina Journal. Then a few months after that, uh, maybe six months, WBTV started looking into it and they started finding out after a document up at the end of last year, communication between Cooper and others. It started more and more questions started being asked precisely uh, about the Atlantic Coast pipeline being used to get favorable deals for Strata Solar. So the plot thickens. And now... Just last week, the News and Observer is now asking questions after more information came out in a FOIA request dealing with Stratosolar, also dealing with Morgan Jackson, who is uh, working on Roy Cooper's re-election campaign and was tagged in, or I should say copied in some of the emails, which there's a debate about whether or not that's allowed. He's not actually working for the governor in any official capacity. It's a re-election campaign. And then there are some questions about the governor making decisions based on what West Virginia and Virginia are doing when each state's supposed to make their own decision independently. But a lot of the questions still surrounding Stratosolar and what Cooper was doing to sort of uh, use the Atlantic Coast Pipeline to get favorable deals for that solar company that he has business ties to. Kevin, 
How long do you think Cooper is going to be able to ignore and call it basically a witch hunt is what he's done. Christy Jones has called it a fishing expedition. Ford Porter has called it outlandish attacks made by right wing John Locke Foundation. How long now that the News and Observer is on it, McClatchy is on it. How long before Cooper is going to have to address these issues and can't just ignore them? Hey, rule number one is deny, <laughs> deny, deny. Who said that? that, is, who said that? <laughs> I don't know who did say that. I thought it was. Wasn't that Roger Stone? That sounds like a very stone thing to do. I figured oh, no, it was either it was that or his deny, deny and deflect or something like that. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe deny, deny is just like an old. I, th- I thought it was Roger Stone. But I apologize for interrupting. No, it's OK. I mean, that's that's what you do. It's it's your podcast. I'm just here. <laughs> I'm just here for some flavor so that, you know, I'm the I'm the salt to the pepper. But you're like the the uh, the, the, the Guy Fieri. You throw, man, a little spice here and there. Take us to Spice Town. First Flavortown. of all, yeah, it's the mayor of Flavortown. <laughs> Bam was Emerald. So weird, weird considering how uh, much I love to eat. I don't know any of the celebrity chefs. It's kind of embarrassing for me, but <laughs> you like the food, not who cooks it. <laughs> yeah. I'm, don't fancy it. Just put it on a plate and I'll eat it. I don't need any Bam or Flavortown. So, all right. You just say that as you consume it. But anyway, the point is um, I, I, maybe there was a point there somewhere. Deny, deny, deny. He's got to keep doing that. That's what he's going to do. And I am reminded of the title of our podcast a couple months ago that was something along the lines of future indicted former governor of North Carolina, (laughs) right? Because Cooper's going to be there. He's going to be there with Easley and everyone else um, who has been part of this culture of corruption in the state of North Carolina since time began. And if you talk to any of the old timers around the state, that's how all of the state has been run. That's how all the local governments have been run. It's the good old boy system, the cronyism, the corruption. And I think Ray Cooper just didn't get the memo that that's not cool anymore and you're going to get called out for it. Now, whether or not anything happens, I think, you know, is a, is a different discussion. But I think he's going to keep rolling with it because anyone who was against Cooper knew that this kind of stuff was going on. This isn't a surprise to you or I. I don't think you woke up shocked at this news headline. But the question is whether or not do his supporters start to turn on him, especially since this is a big environmental issue. There yeah. were protests down at the um, that on the mall at the uh, General Assembly around the, the Capitol building in the, the old Capitol when all of this broke of the left wing environmentalists just raising cane that he was involved in this pipeline deal. So I think that'll be the bigger the the bigger topic of discussion is whether or not this is going to affect his base. Well, and the thing is, he's not even really denying it. He's just not answering the questions and they're, and they're deflecting like, oh, this is a witch hunt. This is, you know, I mean, they can't say witch hunt because Trump's kind of you know, own that term. But they're like on the verge well, and of it's it. sexist. That's it's true. Sexist. too. That's right. You know, what's the. But no, I think a guy can be a witch, right? Isn't that a Wiccan, right? I a guy's a Wiccan. War, warlocks. A warlock. Which is oh, in yeah. warlocks. You know what? You watched American Horror Story, too, didn't you? I did not actually. Oh, that's 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 the only reason I knew that. Yeah, because in the there's a there's a fight in the last one, the wick the wick the witches and the and the warlocks. You are correct about that though. Um, but he's not really denying it. He he, he they're just deflecting and they're not really answering the question. And I, so he's gonna have to deny it or he's gonna have to admit it. But I I just don't think he's gonna be able to stay silent. Like I said, Carolina Journal, he can. Maybe even a regional sort of uh, paper or I should say TV station like WBTV. However, that was trying to, I think, get worrisome for him. But now that McClatchy's on him, 
uh, this is this is definitely going to get some legs, and he's going to have to come up with some answers because the longer he waits, the closer twenty twenty is going to get, and he's then he's going to have to address it. And so, I mean, if he's smart, get it out now, and then hope by the time twenty twenty comes around November, uh, people have forgotten about it. But I mean, if he times this poorly, this thing could be breaking at the beginning of twenty twenty or in the middle of twenty twenty, and then he's then he's in a lot of trouble. Well, you said the key phrase, if he's smart. Well, that's true. <laughs> I think that kind of leaves things open uh, open to debate on that. Um, but you're right. It's, it's all about perception and not necessarily the reality of the situation. And that's what I think that we've seen recently with the voter ID bill. And Tyler, I don't know if you've seen this particular headline yet or if our listeners have seen it. But I'm I'm positive that you will, because the headline says UNC student IDs denied approval by the State Board of Elections. What they want you to think is that somehow the awful NCGA Republicans have somehow managed to ban college students from voting. Right. That's the that's the implicit story surrounding this. I hope so. Well, yeah. Well, I, I, you know, we, we'll debate that next. How about that? But the truth of the situation is actually twofold. Number one, the IDs, talking about the student IDs, are pretty much bogus to begin with. And two, voting IDs in general are pretty bogus. Tyler, you and I talked a lot about this back in the fall after the amendment passed, and there was the floor debate at the General Assembly. And we can dive more into the specifics here in a second. But my big question to you to kind of kick this off is, why can't college students just use their IDs already to buy things like alcohol and tobacco? Yeah, well, and especially, you know, it's so weird to me because Democrats love to talk out of both sides of their mouth. So, you know, Right now, they're arguing that college students don't have driver's license. They don't have them. I actually had someone one time I was talking about this on my radio show, and someone emailed me and said, uh, according to the latest statistics, like, uh, you know, X amount of people college age don't have IDs, uh, driver's license. And I said, yeah, OK, thanks for the generalization, but I'm talking about kids in college because that's different. Just talking about 18 to 22 year olds in general how, what percentage of them are in college? Like, I don't know, maybe 40% somewhere around there. So that's the number you need to look at. And I would bet that most people who are in college, a lot of them travel to get there. They have to have an ID. Either they drove there, they took a Greyhound bus there, they took a plane there, they took a train there. All of those require IDs. And so unless they're walking to college, they had to have an ID. Uh, so yes, to me, it's funny that they asked like so many college kids don't have IDs, but what's funny is this is the same party that's also trying to lower the voting age to 16. So how in the world are 16 year olds going to vote? Do high schools give IDs? I mean, like that, that's like a legitimate question. Um, you've been in high school more recently than me, Kevin, do high schools have IDs? Well, that's, um, it's still been a while regardless for both of us. Um, but I mean, that's part of what happened with the floor debate. So to kind of circle back a little bit from the commentary to the fact point of this article is while this was going on on the floor, there were debates about what ID should be accepted and what shouldn't. There was actually a bill, I think it was sponsored by uh, Pittman and Speciality on the floor who were trying to remove student IDs from this broad sort of sweeping part of the legislation that put in basically any sort of school for their ID. So this could apply to adults, Tyler. So think about this. If you are a professor at the university, you could use your UNCW ID to go vote, right? This isn't even just saying like a hypothetical, some student doesn't have a driver's license. This is just kicking the door open to anyone who has basically an ID printer somewhere. I mean, how easy is it to copy a student ID? 
That's why the state issued IDs have become so complex with all the little holograms and things in it. So you can't just print up a fake ID to get into a bar as easily as you used to. And so, yeah, no, to your point, the high schools have applied to, uh, to have their IDs validated. <laughs> um, the, the UNC system, all 17 schools submitted theirs. And this article here is talking about how a lot of those got kicked out and unapproved. And the reason is, is because, and this was brought up on the floor at the time and no one paid attention to it, but there's not a whole lot of rigorous testing that goes into issuing a UNC ID. In fact, they talk about high school students don't even have to show their social security number or any other sort of validation if they start to enroll at a local school and kind of do the dual enrollment thing in high school. So you could have an 18-year-old high school student or a 16-year-old or whoever with a student ID that just has their name and everything else on it that is, quote, allowed through the state law, but was never really qualified to begin with. And I think that's the big underlying issue. Nothing about these new student IDs allowed under the bill are really properly validated that that person lives at that address. Well, but isn't one of the other key components, the reason that they were all shot down is because there was a deadline they needed to file for. They didn't get the paperwork in time, but also because they moved forward and said we didn't need IDs. I mean, they pretty much dropped the ID for 2019. Originally, 2019 was supposed to be the year due to the legislation that was passed last year, or I should say the, uh, uh, the vote that was taken by the people and then the legislation that was passed uh, after that. And then with all the craziness happening with the special elections going on in the congressional districts, they basically dropped the voter ID. But the way the legislation was written is that this year was the year they had to apply for the student IDs to be allowed for 2020. And they basically shut down the, the whole ID process. And they were complaining about that last week when they signed the or Cooper, you know, was sent the bill that would you know, uh, change the rules for allowing IDs in 2019 that we wouldn't allow them because it would be too hard to get them done. They're already early voting, I think, in the third district. So there's no way they could have gotten the requirements in a time. So that's really the big issue. Um, more than likely, as the debate goes on, they're probably going to allow college IDs. But the reason they were rejected for the most part, I thought, was because there just wasn't enough time to get everything accomplished because everyone was debating whether or not we were even going to use them this year. Uh, and I mean, it's really common. It's, it's all a lot of inside baseball, but I thought that was really the reason why they, they rejected them. Well, here's one more point to bring up too, because they are talking about, the, I mean, they'll probably pass some sort of deadline amendment to solve that at the legislature, at the legislator. But one small piece of this as well, though, that people can't forget is that even your state issued ID doesn't really mean anything for voter ID. I think that's the biggest misconception that I've been trying to get out there and talk to people about is that there is no connection between you actually living at a physical address and your state issued ID because there's all kinds of time frames when you can change it. You can still use it um, if you've moved so you can register within 90 days to vote in a different precinct than your address. I mean, it's like it's like, yeah, OK, there's a picture and there's a name. But there's really no truthful validation that you are who you say you are until they do something to connect voter registration to the statewide identification database. And right now, those aren't linked. It's it's not one person, one ID sort of situation. So it's, it's kind of nonsensical in a way. Yeah, I mean, I, I still think they need to be... I still think they need to you know, validate the IDs. But I mean, the IDs have gotten pretty... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, technologically advanced. I mean, I remember, I mean, when I was in school, when I started in 2000, 
they were, I mean, the, the IDs just started having like, like little microchips in them to some extent where you could like use them to scan things. And so, I mean, having an ID, I mean, a lot of the college kids treasure them, you know, it's a lot of times it's your lifeline, it's food and money and things that are on there. Uh, so it's, it's, I mean, there is the possibility they might lose them, but I think they're also, how expensive are they to replace? I don't, I don't think I never lost a UNCW one. I didn't know if you ever lost one, but I'm assuming they're pretty expensive. I didn't, but it's, no, I think it's like 20 oh, bucks. It? Oh, okay. It's about, it's like a state issued oh, ID. Okay. And I mean, and, and, and so that's sort of the issue though, is as a campus ID is important on campus, it swipes you in and out of buildings. Yeah. It has your meal plan and your money and all that on it. But then when you start talking about the statewide voter registration database, they're, they're not connected whatsoever. They're irrelevant. I mean, I, it's like bringing a monopoly ID card to the voting poll. It doesn't matter. There's no actual system in place that says that we verified that Tyler Crawley is this person in this picture True, because it didn't go through all of the, you know, especially you start talking about high schools, like who has access to that computer that prints student IDs? I guarantee you there's not a huge security uh, measure around the ID printer at just some Joe high school down the road. That's true. I mean, I guess that's always the concern. I would just think that I think any, as long as there's a picture in a person, uh, I mean, I think you're always going to have difficulty uh, with people forging IDs and finding a way around the system. But just putting up a hurdle, which requires the picture, I think is what most people would consider it. So as long as I think the college IDs have a picture on it and a person's name on it and it matches up with the person that's standing there, uh, I think most people would say, OK, let, if someone did you know, forge an ID, I mean, at that point, I almost feel like you're pretty secure at that point. Um, I mean, secure enough that they, it's not as like right now you can just memorize someone's name and roll up there. But having to actually forge an ID uh, is another level that I think a lot of people aren't willing to go to. And I think that's why people like photo ID for the most part. Um, but while we are talking about photo IDs, I bet there's someone I know I know there's someone who wishes that they had some photo IDs right now when it comes to a dining experience because one of the best places to eat in Wilmington, North Carolina, in the surrounding area, I'm trying to think where all the locations are, is a J. Michael Philly Deli. Uh, amazing. Kevin and I ate there many times when Kevin was living here, and it's amazing. It's awesome. And that's why I'm a little little upset about what's been happening recently. So according to a new report from WECT, dining, it's called a dine and dash, where someone goes in, they order food, they eat, and then when they get the check, they just bounce, they leave. And you know, everyone's heard of it. You know, it happens in TV shows and movies as a joke, and everyone knows about it. And it happens infrequently in restaurants all over the country all the time. But it's always somewhat insignificant. And according to the owner of J. Michael Philly uh, Deli, there's been a surge up over the last three months to the point where they've lost over $1,000. And so he is now implementing a device that was used far more often in America than it is today. And many people are probably really happy it's being brought back. It's called Shame. And he's putting up something he calls the Wall of Shame in the probably the main location, the one I always eat at. And what it is, is it's 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 surveillance video and it's a picture in this case, a screen cap of the people who ate and then left. And so they might not be able to ID them to the point where I guess if someone said, hey, I know who that person is and, and they'll, you know, maybe they'll, they'll tell on them. But it's mostly, I think, to keep the person from ever going there again. And if you do recognize the person, it's supposed to be embarrassing. Like, oh, man, I saw you on J. Michael Philly's wall. Like you can't, I can't believe you're, you, you know, you stole your meal and left. And so that's the purpose of it. And so Kevin, 
How excited are you that we're bringing shame back to American society? Oh, it's long <laughs> overdue, man. Long overdue. And I love that it's Jay Michaels. Like that place is phenomenal. I know. I mean, it's just, it's, it upsets me that people are hurting its viability by stealing from one of the best restaurants because I want that place to survive. I might go there and just double whatever, whatever my bill. Well, I'm not actually going to do that because I have no money, but if I did have the money, I would do that. <laughs> I would go in there and I'd pay double what my bill was just to make sure it, it remains in business. Cause it's that great. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I think that's great. Let's shame the people. Well, no, at least it'll keep them from going back and doing it again. And well, yeah, that's one of the issues that we do face now with the internet and anonymity is that people aren't responsible for what they say and do like they used to as smaller communities get bigger and you turn into these big cities and people are just a number. They're not an individual anymore then their actions are. And I think that's where we see a lot of more crime and things that go on in cities is that it's so much easier to blend in. What you do is not sort of attached to your character anymore. Like it is in a small town when you say, oh, that's so-and-so and they did what? And then you know them. You know what happens. You know what's attached to them. And so the more shame, the better. If you are going into an establishment like that, you're ordering dinner with no intent to pay, they should be able to blow it up huge. You know, maybe they need to, to get a big like 65 inch TV in the window, rotate these pictures full, you know, full screen. I think that would be even better. Yeah. No, I, I think they should like project it like on the wall, like of the whole shopping center. Like these are the people that aren't paying, but here's what's interesting. And this was brought up in the article uh, by WECT uh, by the owner. I think it's J. Michael Hudson who said, you know, he might have to change the way that restaurant operates. And that you're going to have to, I don't know, maybe put a credit card down, put a $20 down or, you know, whatever, but, you know, require people to put something down and sort of ruin this sort of relationship that you have when you go into a restaurant. We all assume everyone's operating in good faith and you're going to bring me my food. You're not going to you know, mess with it and I'm going to pay when we're done. And if too many people abuse that relationship, safety measures are going to put, I mean, it reminds me, people forget that at least in my recollection, it was changing over time, but there were still a lot of places where you could still roll up to the gas station, pump, and then walk over and pay. And I remember in 2006, 2007, when gas prices shot through the roof before the economic collapse, a lot of people were filling their car up and taking off. And so they turned the pumps off. So the only way you could pay at the pump was either a credit card or you had to go in and prepay. And I'm wondering if this is going to, we're going to see a change in restaurants where you're going to have to put a credit card down before you even take anything, uh, which I mean, it wouldn't be the end of the world, but it would affect maybe some people who don't have a credit card. Uh, and so it's just, it's unfortunate that some bad apples in our society are, are going to ruin this sort of relationship that's always existed in restaurants. Yeah, it is. And and Michael came on yeah. our show years ago. He ran for county commission, uh, I believe, in two thousand nine. What's the yeah, state house? So okay. I think it was the so, I think it was the district that uh, uh, Deb Butler has right now. It's kind of a Democrat leaning district. Okay, I was, for some reason I was thinking it was it was county commission, but it may have been that seat in twenty ten in the uh, in the primary. But super nice guy, great establishment. Every time I go to Wilmington, I try to go there. I've got now my wife and in-laws eating there. and He's got three great, locations, great food. So by I, the way. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty popular. 
Yeah, it's it's great food and it's inexpensive. So why yeah, not? I know, pay? exactly. I think last time I went there it was like a seven dollars sandwich and fries. Now, if, you're, if you're but, if you're skipping out on the bill, Roost Chris, I'm like, all right, I understand that. <laughs> it's like, but ten bucks, like ten, twelve bucks, like you're running out on ten, twelve. That's just come on. Shouldn't even be in anywhere if you can't afford ten, twelve dollars. No, it's not. But I hope he doesn't change his policies. I hope we don't as a society because we have to keep good faith going. Like we can't let the bad guys win. I like watching the prophet on CNBC Tower. I don't know if you've ever watched that. And um, he's gotten actually pretty – He's lost a ton of money because he always does handshake deals yeah. and he's had people back out. They've had, he's had people spend his money um, and, and totally, uh, you know, try to undo their, their, uh, you know, handshake deal. He's had, had lawsuits and he's been asked about that. Like, w- will you change and just do firm paper contracts now? And he said, no, he said, just because there's a few bad people, I'm not going to change the way I operate out of good faith because of them. And so I hope we don't have to do that. I hope. I hope we don't have to prepay for our Philly <laughs> cheesesteaks from now on. Oh man, that's so sad. But you know what? You know what goes great with a Philly cheesesteak, though, Tyler? Beer. That's true. And too often on this show, we only cover news. So today, I thought that we should cover some brews instead. <laughs> Craft brews, that is. For years, North Carolina has had a twenty-five thousand barrel cap on beer products, which were made uh, by any brewery. <clears throat> that actually made any brewery that did more than that contract out with a distributor in order to sell their beer. Known as the franchise law, this would then give the distributor control over sales, marketing, delivery, quality control, and even pricing in perpetuity. This artificially kept certain breweries small because they couldn't afford to sign on with the distributor. New legislation, however, would bump that limit from 25000 to 50000 and even allow breweries to be considered, quote, midsize, even up to 100,000 barrels. That is a huge win for this $2 billion industry here in the state of North Carolina. Tyler, between this legislation and the proposed changes we talked about a few weeks ago to the state ABC laws, could legislators finally be loosening their tyrannical grip on consumers? No, <laughs> I think they're sort of being forced to. I mean, it, it's I think it's possibly could happen. I think it's going to take you know, five, 10 years for them to really start making some changes. I mean, this this essentially came out because a lawsuit was filed by two big breweries against the I can't remember who it was, but care for the general assembly or who, who they were going after, but it, they were worried the lawsuit was going to be, get, was going to be successful because a judge actually allowed it to go forward. That's when we saw the breakthrough that took place, but they were going to keep fighting it up to that lawsuit happened. Then I think the uh, distributors uh, said, okay, 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 let's, let's, let's work something out. And so they came to an agreement that is pretty favorable for everybody, but it's not like they did it out of the goodness of their heart. They were, they were worried the lawsuit was going to be successful and they basically you know, made a decision that, hey, let's give up a little here instead of possibly losing this lawsuit. And then we're in a lot of trouble. So, I mean, yeah, it, it, it could happen, but you know, this happened solely because of a lawsuit. And so they, they were still going to hold on to that power. Uh, so they like it and I don't see them giving it up. Uh, I wish they would, but this was a good, this was a good outcome regardless of how they got to it. Well, you know, this is an issue that I always found really brought a lot of people from all kinds of different backgrounds together to a limited government perspective. And I think as conservatives, this is something that we have to talk more about is how regulations 
can impact people in just a nonsensical way. Who cares how much beer you produce, right? Why should the brewery up the street have to be be forced to sign on with a distributor just because they produce X amount of barrels, right? That, I mean, that's cronyism. That's a law that is in place, you know, that's left over from prohibition, basically, where they said we need the government monitoring any sort of alcohol production in the state. And then, of course, you have these distributors who want to keep it in place because that's what justifies their existence. They're just a middleman. They go pick up the beer from the facility they store it in a warehouse and then they drive it around to the different bars, restaurants, convenience stores, what have you, and they make a cut on it. And uh, in this article is interesting. They talked about how um, the wholesale distributors contributed one and a half million to political campaigns last year. So if you don't think that they have a vested interest in this, that's kind of the whole point. Yeah. No, I mean, they. yeah, it, it's it, – the debate right now, um, you know, especially you know Asheville, where you're from. I mean, it, it's 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 a booming industry, and we got a lot of breweries. Well, actually, one just opened up right near my work, and I still haven't been to it. It's always like super crowded. It's like too popular. I can't, I can't go to it. But I mean, it's it's what's happening right now in the state. I think is is proof that especially an issue like alcohol that's sort of nonpartisan, uh, more and more people are going to open up to sort of the limited government view of the benefits of, like I said, limited government. And so they look at these industries and they're like, well, that doesn't make any sense with the distribution. And that doesn't make any sense that I can only buy, you know, liquor at the ABC store and we can't have more distribution. And so I, I, I do think it's a winning sort of a winning argument for conservatives to make because, so many of the brewers, you know, the the hipsters who define themselves as being somewhat liberal, love the brewery industry, and so it, it definitely will help win maybe some people over to the uh, limited government side. Yeah, and I think if uh, if people are interested in this subject at all, because I've always been a huge craft beer fan, even before it was cool. I mean, back in the early two thousands, <laughs> um, they um, there's a great documentary called Beer Wars who was produced, uh, it was produced by a lady who was like the chief marketing officer of uh, Sam Adams, uh, the Boston Beer Company. And then she went to work for Mike's Heart Lemonade and uh, built it up and then went out on her own to do something else. I think she was starting another kind of small uh, beverage company. And she did this whole documentary on how the big three, which is now the big two, you've got uh, Anheuser Bush and Bev and Miller Coors, and how they they do all these games and trickery to fill up space on shelves to try to push the craft brewers out, how they make fake craft beers to take up more shelf space. Um, and then how the three-tier system is another element that keeps smaller breweries from growing and from gaining market share. Um, so if you're interested in that subject, Beer Wars is a fantastic documentary. It's not on Netflix or anything right now. I think it's on one of those obscure, like free um, free apps that you can put on your TV that has different movies and TV shows, that's whatever not, those are called. There's one of those. That's, that's not on very there. hipster. All right. If it's not on net. If it's not, it's not no, on Netflix. It's not. It doesn't exist to millennials, Kevin. So yeah, well I tried not hard enough. Apparently I know now, now I've lost our entire <laughs> audience. Netflix or die, baby. Uh, speaking of things to watch, I just want to let everyone know we're recording this Monday, March the 18th. Tonight is the documentary for that Elizabeth Holmes 
uh, documentary on uh, Theranos. And I, I am like obsessed with this story and I am probably going to watch it. So it's supposed to, it's supposed to be really good though. Uh, but what is it? What is it? Come uh, I think on. it's nine o'clock HBO. So, Oh, it's yeah. an HBO doc. So it's going to be yeah. even better. No, it's, it's I'm excited it's like for it. Uncensored. Yeah. I'm excited for it. Theranos remind people about Theranos, the whole uh, scam oh, company. Yeah. So basically, it's this, it's this woman, Elizabeth Holmes started this company when she was like a freshman at Stanford. And I mean, she, at one point the company was valued at like $10 billion. She was like herself worth like, a billion dollars and she was like the darling of everything there's photos of her in the white house with barack obama and she was going to revolutionize blood testing she said she created a device that instead of having to get like your blood drawn anyone that's gone to the doctor and gotten their blood drawn you get that big vial and people that you know they struggle the nurse can't find a vein you got to draw so much blood this test you're just going to take a drop of blood like a prick from your finger like a little bit and it's going to be a test for all these things and it was basically just a scam like the it, no one that actually understood the science of it said it could work. And she got all these high, I mean, she was stealing people from Apple to come work for her. And I mean, just like insane. And the company has now collapsed and there is nothing to it, but it's like, what's fascinating is her. I mean, she adopted this whole Steve jobs persona with the black turtlenecks and she fooled all the wall street. And she even, she even, this is the most amazing part, lowered her voice because she sounds like a regular woman, but she used to artificially lower the tone of her voice. She would talk more like this, and she faked her voice. Was her voice really that no, it's deep? Probably, it's probably because like that's mine. impressive. Like a, it was, it was just low for a woman. And is yours low for a woman? <laughs> is that what you're getting but at? You, I mean, it was, it was crazy. Like, first of all, her voice sounds terrifying when she when she fakes it. Like. Why no one thought her voice sounded weird, I don't know. But there's a couple instances where I guess, you know, she forgot and she talked normal and then had to like transition to the lower voice. But I mean, she's basically a sociopath. I mean, she basically just ripped people out of all their money. And it's, I just find it fascinating. Like, I, I think anytime people do this, because it's just, it fascinates me what their end game is. Like, what did they think was going to happen? Like, they're just going to continue forever and no one was going to realize they never produced anything. It's like, you know, it's like Enron and, all these major collapses I'm just fascinated by because it just seems so short-sighted. Like how did you not think you're going to get caught at some point? I mean, it, I, I don't know. So that's on tonight uh, on, on uh, HBO. It's supposed to be pretty good. Well, I have to, I'll have to check that out because you did recommend the fire yeah. festival documentary. I finally watched that. Which Fantastic. one? Which one did you watch? That's another great example. I watched Netflix. Oh, okay. I don't have right. Cause I think the Hulu one's actually but. a little better, but the Netflix one is, is uh it's pretty amazing. Like, that's another great example. I mean, like talk about like, uh, that's a great example. I mean, basically Theranos was fire festival for uh, a blood company. I mean, it was like everyone that saw fire that's ever put on a festival said, this isn't going to work. And it didn't. And anyone that knew anything about, you know, blood testing was like, that's not going to work. And it was just amazing how many people were, were hoodwinked. Uh, yeah, obviously Elizabeth Holmes was a little bit more impressive because she tricked like billionaires and smart investors and PhD scientists and, you know, the Billy guy from fire festival tricked a bunch of Instagram kids. You know, that, that, that seems far, far easier in my opinion, but they are very similar. They're very similar. Yeah. Well, and next week we're going to talk about our new sponsorships by um, <laughs> Instagram personalities. <laughs> 
As the last note, what is that? Um, I know I've asked you before. What is the documentary you recommended on uh, by the same people that did the smartest men in the, the China ring? hustle? The the Enron one. I yes, was tra- China you know hustle. What? Okay, okay, real quick here. I don't want to go on a tangent because I know we're going a little late for the show. Hey, no That's one's true. listening That's at this true. point. Just keep going. So it's on Hulu. And I want to watch this thing because it's, it's sounds amazing. I mean, it's basically like how the Chinese economy is just completely ridiculous made of cards. It's, it's, it's fake for some reason on Hulu. I can watch the first three minutes of it or the first like 10 minutes and then it stops. And I, I always forget. And then I go back and like a couple like weeks later, I'll go, oh, I'll watch it again and go, why didn't I finish this thing? It's amazing. And then 10 minutes in, it freezes up and I can't watch it. <laughs> and it's driving me crazy to the point where I might just buy it because I've only seen the first 10 minutes of the documentary. So I haven't seen anything else of it. So I don't know what's wrong with Hulu, but I've tried it on a t- two different TVs. I've tried it on my iPad. So there's something wrong with Hulu. I'm surprised no one, maybe I should email them and say, hey, why isn't this working? But if you do try and watch it and it works for you, let me know. And I'll know it's just me, but. I will. And if you buy it and then just let me watch it, let me know as well. <laughs> no, that would be against copyright, Kevin, which I would never violate anyone that's listening that might be in the government. Well, that's fair enough. So if there's anyone listening at all at this point, we'll just try <laughs> to uh, do this again next week. Uh, anything else we need to know about Tower? No, I think we covered everything. That's it. All right. Well, let's keep the streak alive and we'll uh, we'll do it again next week. All right. See you, dude. 